I even hear that in scripture now. If I'm listening to a sermon, I think of y'all because that's like our passage. That is ours. We stand on that, that this is the day the Lord has made and we will rejoice and be glad. Even if it's raining, we rejoice because we need the rain. As Kristen said, we got an opportunity to uh, go to a conference and, and listen to some great speakers, people that are making change and differences on college campuses and Congress. Um, have a world vision. Sometimes you have to break out of your routine and see what's really going on in the world today. Today, I, I got good news for you. I'm only preaching the introduction to our message. How's that? Okay. Now, I didn't say how long the introduction was. Today, I'm just preaching the introduction. And so it's about facing the Giants, uh, not the New York Giants, because I know i got some Giants fans in here, Angel. But uh, in fact, I teased him yesterday. I said, hey, I'm preaching on the Giants tomorrow. And I knew he came thinking it was going to be a football <laughs> message, but we got him here. Giants. Talking about the Giants in our country. Let me first start off with a scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 5. And it says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Everybody say divine power. Sometimes we read through a passage so quickly. This is about God's power working through us to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive. Everybody say taking captive. Some of us need to start taking captive those thoughts. So we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. (laughs) Facing giants. Back in the 1960s, there was a TV show called Facing the Giants. In fact, we have the slide where we put the lunchbox up. I got to tell you, now see, I got to tell you, when I was a kid, lunchbox was social media. Because when you went in and you sat that lunchbox down, that branded who you were. Were you a Bonanza kind of guy or a Star Trek? Or, you know, if your mom gave you a Holly Hobby, you might as well just stay home that day if you were a kid, okay? But it was branding and it brought up conversation. And you talked about, hey, did you see how Haas got on that horse and the horse bugged his eyes? Or, or did you see how Spock did this? But this was our social media. Now, this sh- I just brought this up because I wanted to remind some of you who might have ever seen the show back in the late 60s. It was about seven people on a spaceship that lands on a planet, and everything is 12 times larger than they are. And so the whole episode evolved around them being chased by a large cat or a large person or a child that wanted them as a doll. But what the whole show's premise was is that they were so small and that these items were so big. Common, everyday things were huge and now were obstacles to them. But see, we live in a land that also has giants. And I'm not talking physical giants like Shaq or any of those tall NFL players. I'm talking about spiritual and morality giants. See, unfortunately, I believe that we are in a country that's in moral decay. I know that's really sad for me to even have to say that, but we can't ignore facts anymore. We have divisiveness now. People in the past that used to just make a stand whether you're Republican or Democrat or Presbyterian or Methodist, or any, now there are so many things that you can offend people on. Your stand on marriage, your stand on, on um, our schools and, and the, the removing the Bible and, and prayer, 
union, homosexuality, all of these topics. In fact, you said, Pastor, whoa, give me some examples. And I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> you know, there's a song that says, What did the fox say? Did you ever hear that annoying song? What did the fox ding, 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 ding. Oh, man. Okay. I'll tell you what the fox said. The CEO this week of Mozilla, which owns Firefox, had to resign. Can we put the slide up? 16 years he'd been with Firefox from the very beginning. And back in 2008, he gave $1,000 out of his own money, not company money. He gave $1,000 of his own money to Proposition 8 in California that marriage should be between a man and a woman. Well, somebody used Firefox and started researching him when they were going to make him CEO and got offended. And got offended that he used his own money to make a stand on marriage and said, no, 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 this can't be uh, a CEO of a company. In fact, the quote that I wanted to see um, at the very last, it says, uh, the co-founder of OK uh, Stupid, uh, Cupid, Sam Juan says, uh, of a dating service says, I am opposed to that with every bone in my body. That somebody back in 2008 gave money towards Proposition 8. And if you also want to research that, look up what our President Barack Obama said out at Saddleback Church. He made the exact same stance. Now, our President has now had a change of heart and came out and said, now I've changed my mind. But back then, that was the exact same stance. So something that somebody gave back in 2008 is coming back because somebody searched and says, oh, they gave money to an organization I don't like. I don't like them now, and so I'm going to go after them. How many of y'all remember just a few months ago, Phil Robertson, Duck Dynasty, made a comment about marriage. Yeah. A&E said, oh, we're going to suspend them. I said to my wife, as yeah, not going to last. There's too much money. There's just too much money. I looked it up. They were doing $400 million just off merchandising alone. So all of a sudden, A&E's like, well, you know, we're, we're going to let them back, but don't you do that anymore, Phil. And, you know, if you tell a good redneck man to do something, he's going to do it. What about the boycott on Chick-fil-A? Huh? Now, just this last week, I read that Chick-fil-A became the leader in chicken sales. Isn't that good? I mean, let's, let's, give him a, let's give him a hand on that. I did my part to help him get there. You know, every nugget, every sandwich got them there. And even they made a statement that says, uh oh, they took over KFC, which KFC had four times more outlets and is open on seven days a week versus six. That's so God. God will do more when you honor him with your less than you can do with anybody else's more. But what we're seeing in our culture is that anytime you take a stand for anything in righteousness or any belief, and if it offends anybody, there is going to be an attack not only on your character, on your business, on your family. And where's the church in all of this? Where's the church? You see, if we as a church don't start praying for our nation, if we as a church don't start getting involved, if we as a church start to, start to vote, even in the primaries, 
then our next generation is going to have fewer freedoms than you and I are experiencing right now. There will be so much censorship. So you say, oh, but you know, I'm, I'm, my days are ahead. No, you have grandchildren. You have children. We need to be aware of the next generation. If the Lord Terry, if, if Christ does not return in the next 20, 30 years, we are going to be responsible for a part of this moral decay. We face giants. We have to stand up. It's not even in my notes, but I'm going to share a little message we heard this week. A cowboy preacher got up, and he was a hoot. And he taught us on one word, woe. Not the woe in the Bible, the cowboy woe. Now, I don't know if you've ever ridden a horse before, but that's one of the commands, woe means stop. And he talked about a horse that he had that wasn't very obedient. And he talked about how he taught that horse who was boss. And after that lesson, when he said, whoa, that horse stopped. He said, in our families, there's a lot of things that are coming in that we need to be saying, whoa, not here. We as a nation need to be saying, whoa, not in this country. You see, when going back to the Chick-fil-A thing, there, there's actually a statement from the Boston mayor who said that he would never allow Chick-fil-A to come into his city because of their stance. I'm sorry, I thought I lived in America, the home of the free, Amen. not the home of the mayor who decides. And that's when we as a church need to say, whoa. We need, as a church, to be praying for our nation. We need to be praying for our leaders. We need to be praying for godly leadership. And we need to get involved. We face giants. My first point in my introduction is the warfare we face. There's a necessity of warfare. And we must all face that there is going to be spiritual warfare in our lives. You see, God promised the children of Israel a promised land. And he told them, hey, it's a great land. It's flowing with milk and honey. That means there's blessing there. It is going to be a wonderful place. But you're going to have to fight to go take it. God has blessings for us, but there are times we as a church, we as individuals have to fight spiritually to take what God has for us. Amen, Mark. Thank you very much. I'll start amen in myself. He told Moses that there would be blessings. In Exodus 3, 17, it says, And I have promised to bring you out of your misery in Egypt and into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Prezites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Look up what those did. Look up what those yeah. names meant. Canaanite, uh, the Canaanites meant humiliation, embarrassment. The Hittites meant terror. The Amorites meant pride. What, it, what God was saying is that every one of these are things you're going to have to go in and overtake. And what happened is they didn't go in and overtake them. They weren't obedient to God. They let some of it remain. If you're going to deal with pride, if God's going to deal with pride, let him get it all out of you. Because if there's a seed, it will grow back. If there's anger, let God get rid of all the anger. Don't keep 10%, right? right? You know, when, when I have my, my sewer lines clean, I don't say, hey, keep 10% in there just for, you know. No, I want it all out. I want all that junk out of my life. When I ask Austin to take the trash out, I say, Austin, take 90% of the trash out, leave 10% in the bottom, just so we have a beginning for next week. No, what? We're going to generate more trash. I don't need any old trash. 
We need to let God completely clean our lives. And that's when you say, God, if there's anything in me, if there's anything in me that's displeasing to you, will you reveal it to me and show me how to, I, I can work with you to remove it. That's a very bold prayer. You see, when he promised Joshua the land, he said he'd also going to have to be strong and courageous. When he promised Gideon the land, he said he was going to have to fight the Midianites. When he anointed David, David knew that there was going to be a Goliath. Our Savior was also very forthcoming with his disciples in John 15, verses 18 and 19. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world, and that is why the world hates you. In other words, there's going to be great joy and blessings in being a follower of Christ, but it also means that there are going to be battles that we are going to have to fight, and it's going to be the Word of God and our testimony that's going to help us overcome. That's why it's so important that we understand the relationship of who we are in Christ the power and the authority of the word, the power of our spoken word when we're going into spiritual warfare. The nature of this warfare. Consider the nature of warfare we have to fight. You see, we are not called to just hold the fort. We're not called to circle the wagons. If any of y'all watched any westerns, that's what they did. All they did is they circled the wagons and they just wanted to protect themselves. That's not what we're called to be as a, a church, as Christians. Because what happens is the church has circled the wagons and says, oh, we're protecting these things, and they're even arguing within the circle, and the world around them is decaying. Unfortunately, that is the plan of many Christians. But that's not God's plan. You see, when Goliath challenged Israel, where was Saul? He was hiding in a tent. Hiding in a tent is not going to make your Goliath go away. When God called Gideon and, and showed up and says, Behold, mighty man of valor. Where was he hiding? Anybody remember? Wine press? Good answer. Yes, a wine press. Wine presses are built down in the ground so he wouldn't be seen. That doesn't make the Midianites go away. You see, us just getting together here and having great Sunday morning service and saying, man, that was great worship. Oh, man, that is not going to make the moral decay in this world stop. But we are called to pray for our country. We are called to make a difference in our country. We are called to get involved in our country, to make a, a difference even in our community. We can't afford to adopt a Charlie Brown mentality. There was a joke, and I'll, let me read the quote. Charlie Brown says, I'm only going to dread one day at a time, okay? I think Jimmy Fallon made a joke, says, you know what, this, there's going to be a Charlie Brown movie coming out, and it'll be the only time that the parents will be dragging their three-year-old to say, come, let's go see a depressed little boy who has a dog who talks. <laughs> and they're going to be looking at, and that was, for the 60s, the entertainment. And now when I go back and I watch that, Charlie Brown was depressed. He was a victim every time. Lucy was mean. There were other problems going on, okay? But that was our entertainment. 
And now we've become a Charlie Brown. Well, you know, I'm just, I just want to focus on today. I just want to get through today. God has not called us just to get through today. God has created us with a purpose and a plan. He has given you gifts and talents and abilities that we can go out and make a difference, but it's not in our power and it's not in our strength. It's by his power and his strength working through us. All we have to say is, Lord, here I am. And not say, Lord, here I am from 3 to 3.15 and 8.07 to 8.28 because I have openings during that time. You see, when God calls you, it's going to be during inconvenient times for you because your flesh and your spirit are constantly battling. When you don't want to minister to somebody, that's when God is going to ask you to encourage them. I need encouraging. No, you encourage them. I'll tell you what, start being obedient to the Spirit, and what you are pouring out, God is going to pour into you more. Is the back row listening? I'm getting some amens up here in the front, but it's just everybody's like, thanks. The church isn't also called to run for cover. A mom walks in. She has five small children. She thought, man, it's really quiet in the house. And any time it's really quiet in the house, you as parents know there, there's something up. But she walks in and she sees that her five children are all sitting in the living room playing. And she's really happy about that. Then she notices that they have brought in five baby skunks. And they're all playing with these five skunks. Without thinking, she yells to the children, children, run, run now. That startled the skunks. And every child picked up their skunk and ran outside. <laughs> you see, sometimes we make a mess of things when we panic. And there's times in our lives when we panic and we make quick decisions. We send an email that we shouldn't have sent out of just reaction. And what we've done is we've taken a bad situation and made it a lot more stinky. But we're not called to run. We're called to pull down strongholds. The word pull down means to dethrone. To dethrone the strongholds. And when Apostle Paul preached the gospel at Ephesus, many people were saved. In coming to Christ, it created a change in their economy. In Acts 19, verses 23 and 26... It tells us, about that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. And a silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, Artemis brought, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. These were idols, okay? So the idol makers were getting upset because nobody was buying the idols. Why was nobody buying the idols? Because people were starting to follow Christ and realize that they didn't need an idol. They could pray to great God. They didn't need to pray to a piece of wood or a piece of metal. And he called together all of them and the workers and related trades and said, you know, my friends, we have received a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and the, practically the whole providence of Asia. And he says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. You see, they were pulling down strongholds by sharing Christ, changing lives, and all of a sudden it started upsetting everything. That's what the church is called to do. That's what we are called to do, to go in to make a difference, to dethrone, to cast down imaginations. 
When I tell you that we're to cast down imaginations, that means we're to conquer them, to attack them. What are these imaginations? Well, they're deceptive, fleshly ways of thinking. See, Paul tells us this in Colossians 2, verses 8 and 10. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Wow, let's just stop right there. There is a lot of hollow philosophy out there. We as a country are calling evil good and good evil. I'm watching on Fox News a teacher that had molested a child for three years gets put in prison. Guess what the teacher union wants to do? Get him a pension. What? What? This was a horrible, horrific thing. Oh, we need to make sure that he's going to be in prison, but we need to make sure he gets his pension. No, that's when you call evil good. Evil is evil, and you need to identify evil. The more that we start saying, that's bad, whoa, the clearer things start to get in our minds. Which, getting back to the passage, which depends upon human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to the fullness. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. For in Christ, we have been brought to the fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. See, Paul is telling us that a giant is anything that's putting itself in front of Christ. A giant is anything that's taking our attention off of Christ, and we need to cast down that. You see, what was interesting is there's a passage when you're reading through all of this, and it says that Saul, who was the king at the time when Goliath is coming in, Saul was the tallest man in Israel. Now, I'm sure that's not why he was chosen, okay? But, I mean, it was just kind of, why was that pointed out? Saul was the tallest man in Israel, and Goliath is coming, and he's taller than Saul. Now, remember, we know where Saul is. Saul's hiding in, the, in this tent thinking, what's going to go? What, 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 how do I get out of this situation? How do we negotiate? You see, you don't negotiate with sin. That's what's happened is we've negotiated with sin. We'll say, well, okay, we'll, we'll allow it to do this, but we won't do that. That never satisfies sin. Sin will want that too. You see, like when the Boy Scouts decided that they were going to allow their scouts to be homosexuals, that was one decision. Then we find out that Disney World, which is one of the largest supporters of the Boy Scout organization, just about two weeks ago said, we're pulling all of our support for you. We're going to punish you as an organization because you're not allowing homosexual scout leaders. Now, I'm sorry, I don't need a homosexual to teach my eight-year-old son how to be a man. And I don't want to put him in a tent with other eight-year-old boys that aren't doing normal things. Oh, but we, but, but we have to be accepting. No, we don't. This is when we have to say, whoa. Anybody else? Can I get another whoa out there? You see, we just sit and we're letting all of this pass by because, well, I don't have a son, so it's okay. That's like saying, you know what? I'm against abortion, but if other people are, that's okay. Well, let's take that to slavery. I'm against slavery, but if other people want it, then that's okay. I'm against human trafficking, but if others want to do it, that's okay. 
we can't take um, that's okay mentality. God is preparing the church for change. And the circling the wagons is no longer an effective offense. And it's not working real well as a defense either. Goliath towered above everyone else. But when David gave the battle to God, Goliath fell. There are going to be giants that are bigger than you. But bring God into the situation and everything just went into your favor. Your corporation may be bigger than you. Bring God into that situation. Your campus may be bigger than you. Bring God into that situation. Your family members may be bigger than you. And I'm not talking physically. I'm just talking bigger <laughs> than you. Bring God into that situation. We need to bring God into our situations. How do we pull down these imaginations? Because there are intellectual giants out there. There are experts that tell us what we should and shouldn't do. It's amazing that a gentleman who never had children wrote a book about children and how to raise children and was totally wrong. But we bought the book. I don't know, but I think if I'm going to find out someone how to raise kids, I'm going to find out somebody who raised some really good kids, and I'm going to go ask them, what did you do to raise these good kids? Right? I mean, I, I don't mean to make basic things just so stupid, but sometimes the simple things are. We have philosophical giants. People seem to understand so much more about the book, so much more about humanism, who are teaching us evolution, who are teaching us Big Bang. I, I, I need to tell you that these are theories, just like creationism, but they do not want to teach creationism in our schools. They want to teach these theories that they have faith in, but they have no more fact than what the Word of God says, which is a historical book. We see that when Hollywood creates a movie about Noah and gets pretty much none of it right. See, back in the 60s during Easter time, they always showed the Ten Commandments every Easter. I mean, it went on for like three nights in a row. This thing was epically long. Now, ABC still shows it, but it's down to like 30 minutes. It's like... <laughs> They just microwave them right out of Egypt. They're over there. They're still showing it. But at least it was biblically accurate. Noah is not biblically accurate. Material giants. We have Hollywood. We have Madison Avenue. Not our Madison, just Madison Avenue. That's <laughs> trying to tell us how we need to live, what we need to breathe, what we need to be driving, where we need to be, what we need to drink. To be the most interesting man, when you do drink, drink this. Well, there's a lot of boring drunk guys getting drunk on that, and they're not the most interesting man in the world. Right? What, if you drink this beer, you're going to be the most interesting man? Mm. It's an image. They're selling you this. Ooh, I want to be the most interesting man. A giant is anything or anyone that refuses to give God rightful place. Giants. And we're surrounded by them. We're surrounded by things that exalt themselves. The second point, the weapons that we fight with. There are weapons that we cannot trust. We have to understand that they're 
are weapons that are not carnal. And verse 4 says, we cannot face the giants of life with weapons that we are making. But there are weapons that we can choose to use. And God has given us those weapons. For although we live in this world and we face giants, we have a different way to face these problems. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. But Christ that lives in me, the life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, we cannot trust the weapons of this world. David refused to fight in Saul's armor. You see, Saul wanted to put his ways onto David. And I'm so thankful that David said, no, 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 no. This doesn't make sense. This is, God and I have been doing it this way for a while. We've been pretty victorious. I think I'm going to stay with the same MO, okay? This is the way we're going to stay. And what happens is other people are trying to bring in their ways that they've had victory and tell you how to get that. Listen to God. Don't listen to man. Listen to God. Don't listen to man. Get in the Word. What does the Word of God tell you? We've got people running around to every televangelist, every person trying to get direction. God will speak to you if you ask Him. But then be quiet. Yes, thanks, Sean. Be quiet to listen because maybe He might have something to say. In 1 Samuel 17, 38 and 40, it says, Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on the sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. And he says, I cannot go out in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in his pouch in his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. The battle is very simple if we listen to God. The battle is very complicated if we bring our ways into fighting it. Giants. Giants can be circumstances. Giants can be fear. Giants can be addictions. Giants can be anger. Giants can be unforgiveness. Any one of those things can become, be, can become between you and God. And maybe you've never recognized it as a giant, and maybe you've never faced it before, but we're about to face our giants, and we're about to bring down strongholds, and we're about to pull down those authorities over our land, over our country. We may not do it all over the United States, but we're going to do it over Arlington. We're going to be praying over Arlington. We're going to be praying for churches in Arlington. We're going to be praying for the body of Christ in Arlington. So that even in the spiritual forces, whoa, that's Arlington. I don't even want to go there. That's just a horrible place. Yes, amen. But I also want people that come into Arlington to realize that there's a difference about this land. Because we as a church have been praying for it. We're going beyond our normal, circling the wagons, and we're praying for a land, facing the giants. As I close, this is my last passage, Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, 
Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Wow. We're taking on some battles. We're taking on some giants. But it's about time to get them out of your land. It's about time to get them out of your home. It's about time to get them out of your heritage. It's time to get them out of your mind. Because there is freedom in Christ. See, what Jesus did on the cross is not only did he buy our, our, our salvation, but he, he took our sickness and he took our disease. He took our anguish. He took our torment. He took our anxieties. And he nailed them to a cross. And then he went down into hell for three days and defeated death. What do we have to fear? But we're still out there being our own lone ranger, saying, I can do this on my own, Pastor Mark. I don't need Jesus. Or I'll, I'll, I'll come to Jesus at a later time. We need Jesus. We need Jesus more than ever. And as a church, I don't want to see the moral decay continue. It angers me. It hurts. It disappoints when I see TV preachers still even calling evil good. But there's also a passage to pastors and teachers that says that we're more accountable for what we speak. I take that serious. That's why I always try to bring as much scripture in as possible just to get you to hunger and thirst after that. And I wanna, I wanna go read more about that story. But it's always about Christ. It's always about the cross. It's about what Christ bought for us. You don't have sickness. You don't have arthritis. Satan has arthritis. Satan has cancer. Satan has mental disease. You don't, you're a child of the most high God. And it all comes through just asking Christ into your heart. With all heads bowed and all eyes closed, I just want to lead you. I'm going to lead everybody in a very simple prayer. And you may have prayed this before. Or you've never asked Christ into your heart. But the gospel is very simple. Jesus came to this world, lived 33 years, died on a cross for you and me to become the perfect sacrifice for our sin went to heaven and is coming back and he's coming back soon and this time when he comes back he's not coming back as a baby he's coming back as a savior and a warrior and he's going to call the church because this is not our home thank god this is not our home but he's prepared a home for us in heaven and that's where we'll spend eternity. You see, when you look back, your first moment in heaven, and you look back at the 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 plus years that you had on this world, it'll seem like a breath compared to eternity. 
And all of a sudden, what we did during that breath was very important in the decisions we make. And this decision right now I'm asking you is where are you going to spend eternity? Are you going to deny God and try to do things on your own? Or do you want to spend eternity in heaven with God? Do you want God's favor and God's blessing on your life? Would everybody please pray with me this prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins and rose from the grave to give me life. Please forgive me. Change my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. I now confess Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I am saved. Amen. We're going to be taking on some giants as we are going into Easter. We'll have our Easter message, but it's going to be tying in some giants. I want you to be thinking about giants that maybe you've had to deal with in the past. Are they still around? And as we go through this series, how the Word of God is going to teach you to deal with those issues, those problems, those people, whatever it is that's the giant in your life, the answer is in the Word of God. And we're going to go into that. So I'd like to thank you all for coming today. I'd like for you to stand and speak a blessing over you as we dismiss. And according to God's word, may the Lord bless you and protect you. And may the Lord smile upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord show you his favor and give you his, give you his peace. So go in his peace. In Jesus' name we pray.